0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Political State Podcast. I'm Ben Felder with the Oklahoman. Joining me here in the Oklahoman's podcast studio is state Capitol reporter Carmen Foreman. Carmen, hello. Hey. You were off last week. You were you didn't join us last week. Uh, uh, go anywhere fun?
1: Uh, yeah, I went to Austin, drank too much, fun spent town. too much money, had a great time.
0: All right, well, welcome back. Welcome back from exciting Austin. And joining us this week, our, I guess our guest, sort of our, our co-host for the week, is uh, Trey Savage, who is editor-in-chief of doc. Nondoc. Um, Trace, welcome. Do you feel like you're kind of in the belly of the beast here?
2: No, I'm just thrilled that I was able to bring my buyer's guide that you throw in my (laughs) front yard, and I threw it in the front yard of the Oklahoman here uh, I'll pick it up and put it in the trash can on the way out the door. But it was, it, but I'm, that's my main thrill. I'm here though. Ask me anything you want to.
0: It feels poetic. huh? Uh-huh, yeah, well, as can. I told you before, it counts as a pickup, and we'll take it.
2: Awesome. If, hey, I'm then right. Then drinks are on you guys after this because uh, I just picked up. Uh, <laughs> now you could go click on a bunch of the ads on nontalk.com, and maybe we. Have it even so.
0: Yeah, so our uh, our our colleague, I'll say, no, 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 not not into me at all. Our competitor, a worthy competitor, um, one of the the best hustlers up at the Capitol. Um, I mean, hustlers in terms of just the uh, energy that you put in, not uh, not the other way. But yeah, uh, well, but no, I, I've yet. been
2: known to run down the marble uh, hallways. So yeah, it, but I've really enjoyed getting to know Carmen. Um, she's doing a great job up there. Was. Uh, you know, I thought there were going to be big shoes to fill uh, when when you left, but she's done a great job and is, um, you know, really widely respected up there at the Capitol so far, and
1: <laughs> I think that's going
2: to grow. Too yeah, much flattery. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move along.
0: Let's move along. Well, the reason for this gathering of the minds is, uh, um, and something we'll get into in today's episode, was actually um, sparked by kind of in part of a Twitter conversation about the whole idea of whether journalists should vote or not. Um, and just kind of how do you cover democracy when you or how do you participate in democracy when you are covering politics? And um, it's always kind of an interesting conversation. I, I always have somewhat of a social media conversation with, with readers around elections when it comes out that, you know, my, me, myself, I don't vote in, in elections that I'm covering. Um, and so just thought it might be interesting to kind of talk about that, that topic and, and wanted to bring in for that. But, but let's first, let's start with kind of the big political news of the week. And I guess that would have to be the uh, state Supreme Court on Tuesday upheld a petition seeking a statewide vote on expanding Medicaid, which would means the petition effort can move forward with the goal of putting expansion on the ballot in, in 2020. It was a conservative think tank that had filed a protest, which the court ruled against, and so now supporters of that petition are expected to begin collecting signatures this summer, and they're going to need 178,000 signatures. So I'll just, I'll just open it up first to you both. Uh, a surprise that the ruling came down
2: as it did? Carmen?
1: Uh, not s- Super surprised. I was more surprised that it came down so quickly, and that um, yeah. you know that these folks can. I think within the next thirty days, start gathering signatures, and you know by by the fall, this thing could almost be close to being a done deal.
2: Now, do they have to start gathering signatures in 30 days, or do they do they get to set? I don't even know how that works. There's
1: some, like, complicated procedure behind the scenes, and basically there's, like, a, a, a semi-challenge period um, for, I think that lasts for 20 days, and then there's some sort of 10-day period, and then the Secretary of State's office gets involved, and they basically say there's... This much of a window, and or this much of a window, say let's say fifteen days or thirty days until the groups. That, but that eventually, the Secretary of State will say on this day. That's day one, and from there, you have ninety days.
2: And so the the filers can't say, "Well, we'd we'd rather wait till August 1st They can't do that.
1: It does not sound like I, that. I
2: don't think they can either. And that, that's what I think is really interesting. So Ben, to answer your question, is no, I wasn't surprised. I mean, I don't think that the challenge was uh, was was that. Robust in terms of a, an actual conflict uh, with what the potential signatories would read on the the ballot title, the gist of it, if mm-hmm. you will. I think the thing that was most surprising to me was that the chief justice of the Supreme Court made a reference to a Misfits song. <laughs> yeah. um, so I really enjoyed that. That got some attention, but um, no, I, I do think it's surprising to me that this is a constitutional amendment, and it's surprising to me that. that it's being pursued in terms of getting 178,000 signatures in largely the summer, Mm -hmm. right? So let's say this starts end of July. You know, typically, and I think, I guess, end of July would still get them into the state fair. It would still get them to a couple— uh, oh, Home football time, games. So you, collect but yeah, typically Ju- June and July are not your, your greatest time to collect signatures.
1: But wouldn't uh summer be great to, you know, capture those college kids who are like civic minded and don't have anything else to do? In or, terms of
0: collecting signatures? Yeah,
1: or get some teachers involved and, you know. It,
0: it tells me that they maybe are, are going to be pretty organized about this. I mean, if you don't have to sweat the little things um, and if – you know, doing this during the summer versus the fall is one of those little things for you that tells me that you're probably planning on being pretty organized and have some maybe money and some people behind it to kind of know what they're doing.
2: Yeah, but I I think the bigger issue is I think really that a lot of the folks who are supportive of it, and I don't doubt that that pledges now will turn into checks uh, to get the thing going, because just for those of you listening, you have to largely pay signature yeah. gatherers to get. I think it used to be a dollar a signature or something like that. You could um, pay somebody, but largely you you pay people to to do something of this magnitude. Um, but I think that initially there was a lot of hope that uh, this would encourage the legislature and really the governor to get off of high center on Medicaid expansion in in 2019 session, right? It was filed Good Friday Mm -hmm. at four forty-five PM. You know, which I don't want to speak out of turn and and have people get mad at me here, but you know, that told me that they didn't want a whole heck of a lot of fanfare with it when they filed it, Mm -hmm. right? Whether they thought maybe we'll do a different version, maybe we'll try a a different way. If they, but if they'd have wanted fanfare, they could have done it that whole week ahead of time or the next week or anything of that nature. Four forty-five on a or four o'clock on on Good Friday before Easter um, told me that you know, hey. We're going to just see if this kind of gets them to move forward with the the plan that Senator McCourtney, Senator or Representative McIntyre, had been pushing. And, And really, you know, my understanding is that largely the governor's office just wasn't prepared to do that this year.
0: And so, you know, there's a few more steps to go through, but this biggest challenge is now behind them. So it seems like this is going to this is gonna happen. This is going to be an issue. I mean, if they can get the signatures, and I mean, you know, I guess we don't have any great insight into their organi- organizing abilities, but the assumption is that it will happen. It'll be on the 2020 ballot at some point, which the, I think is interesting. You know, the governor will be the one that decides which ballot it, it goes on, is my understanding. The petition does say November 2020, but I, I'm, it's not clear to me that they can just set that as the date and the petition. And if they get the signatures, that would have to be in November. Do you think it matters which month in 2020 in terms of, you know, when it comes to its passage?
1: Um, I I definitely think so. Um, I don't think that you want Medicaid expansion going to the ballot during the 2020 presidential.
0: You don't want it uh, if you're, if you're who?
1: Um, If you're Republicans. I mean, granted, I think there's the argument that, um, you know, this is an issue that could drive conservatives to get out and vote. But um, as somebody said this week to me, you know, Medicaid expansion is an issue that unites Democrats and divides Republicans. Um, And I think it'll get Democrats out to the polls in droves i think there's a larger group in the state that does support expansion in, in some shape or form um and they will vote for it at the polls but i think if your governor sit and you're thinking when do you want to put this on the ballot probably not november you want to pull a mary fallon and put it on sooner when you think that the there are going to be fewer people voting so
0: you're referring to the medical marijuana vote which did pass ultimately i mean putting it on the june ballot didn't seem to have much of an impact on that And something that divides Republicans still brings out a number of Republicans who are in favor of this. I I mean, do you think, I mean, my assumption is, I mean, it feels like there is a a decent amount of support for this. And is it enough to push it over? Who knows? We'll have to get through the election season and how both sides, you know, duke it out publicly. But I mean, from where we were five years ago, I mean, this seems like a a possibility in a way that it never did in the past.
1: Yeah, I would put money on this table right now and say this is going to pass. Would you take that?
0: Would you take that bet, Tracey?
1: Any, anybody want? Uh, I don't know that. I, mean, I, have I guess to it cash.
0: would depend on your odds. But no, I'm putting
2: money down for you.
1: <laughs> I've got ten bucks. you got.
2: I thought you would lost it all at the it at, in Austin. All right, you guys <laughs> are going to make people. You think didn't that, we that Get place. paid too much. You didn't um, go to that place I went to down there. All right, so uh, the. I mean, I think that. Can um, yeah, we get paid too much? Yeah, good joke. Uh, I
0: was going to make I think you're going to you're
2: going to make them think that we do I, all this Well, money I I get paid them. so little. I make so little money that I actually qualify for z, for zero dollar. Uh, subsidized Affordable Care Act. Do you need
0: Medicaid expansion? Well, no, if no, no. I get it, or you get I, well, it. Okay. I, mean,
2: I get Blue Cross Blue. I mean, maybe. I, it's possible. Um, it's. I mean, that's interesting. I, I guess I, I suppose I might. Um, or maybe I just need more advertisers and anyway. In
1: that regard, should you vote on this ballot initiative? We'll, we'll get to that okay. in a Yeah, bit no, later. this is great. So,
2: I. well, the bigger question for me individually is somebody who worked in healthcare for six years and, uh, you know, certainly understands the, the value of, of this and, and the reason and, and was – I was involved initially, uh, in the initial conversations in the healthcare community of how do you convince the legislature in 2010, I guess, to, uh, try to, to move on an Oklahoma plan. Right. Um, and I, you know, part of the issue was that there was some difficulty speaking the language of this toward Republicans. Right. And, and I'll tell you one of the big, um, it's sort of amusing. One of the big debates in that room, it was at the hospital association, good folks there, you know, uh, there was a lot of effort to not call it Medicaid expansion. And that was the big push in the room. And I sort of raised my hand because I'd been a journalist only a couple of years ago before this and, you know, said, look, I, you, you're talking about how you want to say it differently in press releases. And you, when we talk to media, we need to say uh, a plan for Oklahoma or an Oklahoma plan or this, you know, language kind of switcheroo, right? And I said, if you walk up to, uh, you know, at the time, Chris Castile, I mean, or I'm sorry, at the time, uh, Michael McNutt, or uh, certainly Sean Murphy with the AP, if or Tim Talley, if you walk up to them and you say, uh, here's this information about a plan for Oklahoma, they're going to write it as Medicaid expansion in their stories. You can't... And this was like a big... That didn't... That message just was not welcomed or accepted in the idea. And now if you look five years later, everybody's calling it Medicaid expansion. There's no...
1: There's no
2: attempt to sort of pull the wool over the eyes of everybody.
1: You still hear the governor calling it an Oklahoma plan. That's what his alternative is going to be. And coming from, you know, when I was in Virginia covering the state legislature there, they worked to expand Medicaid, and they, you know, Democrats were in the minority there. They had to get Republicans on board, and the only way to get Republicans on board was to give the illusion that they were not expanding Medicaid. And to do that, they... Called it something else because many Republicans were concerned about winning re-election if they voted for Medicaid expansion. Sure,
2: On, but I would say that I've heard it from the horse's mouth of people who were adamantly opposed to this and remain to this day that sort of laugh. And when I tell them that story, they say, "Yeah, that that was the best thing for us is because every time they came out with this new rollout, there's a bunch of like dormant Twitter accounts about this, right? And uh, that they, you know, different phrasing. And uh, this individual said to me that every time they'd come out with a new term a phrase for it we would just say no it's Medicaid expansion and you never moved the needle on yeah. Medicaid expansion so if you really look that later that I guess well 2014 when Joe Dorman ran against Mary Fallon in her uh, after her first term he was really the first person statewide to come out and boldly say Medicaid expansion is what we need to do um, now I, I don't want to say that there weren't individual legislators who, who were doing that but I just th- I think it's interesting to, to show how far we've come that now, We think that it's likely going to pass, and the polling would show us it's likely going to pass. And then if you call it something else, it only goes up, right? Now, in terms of the timing of it, um, it, the governor will have an interesting decision because the biggest primary in 2020 is going to be? March. Well, I mean, but what race?
1: CD5. Five. CD5. Are
2: five. Oh, you talking about local right. primary? Yeah. Okay. So the so presidential
0: is in March. June is the the state legislative and congressional primary. Sure. So.
2: Right. And so if you put it on a June ballot for the statewide primary, I guess you could put it on March, but I don't... I mean, It'd maybe.
0: probably be too early in their in their minds if they were able to do it. But yes, anyways, right. go on. I, June, I June I, seems maybe... And I likely. don't know
2: that you want to put it in there in the middle of... of um, the session, the legislative session, although we we haven't even talked about whether the legislature will, if this gets the signatures, will they come in and Mm -hmm. try to do their own deal to preempt it and say, no, we've already done this. We don't need to put it in the Constitution, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Um, But, you know, who does that... How does that play out in the CD five Republican primary, right? I mean, I, again, it's a state issue you could say, but that never stops people like us from yeah. asking about it. You know? No, that's a
0: great point. And
2: I'm, so, I don't know if you're if you're somebody who's got the governor's ear, and I think it's sometimes still hard to know exactly who that is, and sort of establishment politicians, right? Um, but you, you know, you might say, hey, don't make this the battle. Don't if you're the Republican Party, you might say, don't turn this into. Uh, a big issue for our primary in CD5 as we try to get the strongest candidate to go against Kinderhorn.
1: Yeah, but if you think about that, Kinderhorn is very unlikely to have a primary challenger, so there will be Republicans turning out in droves to vote in the Republican CD5 election in June. Sure. And so if you are trying to, in theory, kill a Medicaid expansion ballot initiative, you want as many Republicans or conservatives going to the polls as possible. Yeah.
2: I, I Yeah, that's Quite possible. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's it's a good way to see it multiple ways. I will say that just to go back to the the politics of how this effort gets done is that I've I've continued to think from when I was in journalism, when I've been in healthcare, and then you know back in journalism now that the the biggest difficulty with this issue is that if you really want to explain it to a Republican, like a, a staunch Republican who Probably doesn't know a ton about healthcare because I found, and I, I really liked being in healthcare for a while, is that I found healthcare was one of the most complicated issues out there. I mean, it was just every day. There's just so many areas you could go mm-hmm. with it, right? And so, it's really an issue of. If I were to tell the story, it's an issue of fairness, which is I think a Republican core value, right? So what happened? What what had happened was uh, that somebody's getting mad at me for that but anyway uh the shout out to will smith um the affordable care act passes medicaid expansion is required in it supreme court overturns it it becomes optional when it was passed it was made budget neutral the medicaid expansion component by cutting a lot of what i would refer to as the death care industry right which would be uh medicaid uh uh Medicare payments, but for hospice, for home health, these industries that had ballooned and were very lucrative, right? And so it was end of life care. And it and this was traded and signed off to by the American Hospital Association based on the agreement that okay, we will we will accept these cuts in Medicare that largely affect us. They affect other companies too, but they largely affect hospital systems. In exchange for coverage of this population nineteen to sixty four, the who, working poor who we see anyway and who drive up exorbitant costs, right? And so they made this agreement and they, they, they lost a bunch of money in Medicare in an agreement to, to make that switch. Supreme Court rules that optional and now all these states for political grandstanding reasons or, or, or reasons that they actually believe this is bad policy decide not to expand Medicaid, right? So if you I always felt like that if you had to go back to that, to what actually mm-hmm. happened if you really want to get into a good, strong conversation with somebody about where we are now. And I, and I felt we've never really, as a state, gotten real deeply into that. because it's and, and additionally, from a Republican perspective, you've got Medicare is one of the fastest growing, I think it's called an entitlement program, but it, I mean, you pay into it, yeah. right? And so I don't know that that's a fair assessment. But it's one of the fastest growing, largest budget items at the federal level. Well, the only way to stem the tide of that cost was to find a way to cover people when they are working adults, right? Because if you have a a person in a lower socioeconomic class who rolls off of public health care at age 19, and they work various jobs off and on, and sometimes they're uninsured, and and largely they're uninsured for 40 years of their life. By the time they roll onto Medicare at age 65, they are a walking bag of disease, they are much more expensive to take care of. So from a, yes, it costs more to do this in some ways, but A, we reduced Medicare costs. And then B, we're trying in the long run to have a healthier population so that Medicare isn't paying out these exorbitant costs. And furthermore, just as a final thought on this, if someone gets diabetes at age 40 or 35 or whenever it is, and they don't get their A1C under control, right? And they don't, Deal with it, and they wind up uh, having a bunch of uh, health problems. Whether it's uh, uh, vision issues, and they lose some some eyesight, or they have to have a foot amputated, let's say, where what happens to that? What does that trigger for that person in terms of "quote unquote" entitlement, mm-hmm. disability, yeah. right? So now they qualify for Medicaid. So we're ultimately qualifying someone for Medicaid because they've gotten sick and not managed this chronic condition, and now we're going to cover them. But we weren't going to cover them when they were trying to work and trying to to have that job at 35 hours a week or or whatever it is. So I think those are the conversations that if I were trying to pitch this, and I I have in the past, you know, talked to, to Republican lawmakers and just debated over a beer or whatever it might be. Is I think those are really key things that if you've never worked in healthcare and you've never thought how the payment system in healthcare works and all those factors, I think it's eye-opening to people and it gives some perspective for then the political messaging that comes around. So there's my soapbox. I, yeah. I'll leave now. <laughs> <at least. laughs> well, and I think
0: and those are and great points. And I think we are you know for a variety of reasons we are able maybe to shift more to the policy aspect and less of the political aspect. I mean, it's still going to be a very major political issue. You know, of course. You know the president that that, uh, that pushed this across the finish line. His signature achievement, Obama. I mean, he's no longer in office. I mean, he gives that kind of that cover to now explore this issue, mm-hmm. and and next year maybe a little bit easier too because there's not there are no statewide races going on. I do think it's going to be fascinating in the sense that this will be one of the dominant political storylines of next year. It's going to impact what happens in the legislature next year. It's going to impact some other races. I think your your assessment of CD5, or at least your your the thought that CD5 is going to be impacted, this is very interesting. Because what happens if... Medicaid expansion is on the June ballot, or even on the November ballot. And you see Horn against Steph- Stephanie Bice, and Bice is kind of forced to take an anti position if she was, I'm not saying she's going to, but let's say that she felt to win a Republican primary, she had to come down against this, The specific plan, the plan that it's on the ballot, the plan that people are going to vote on in November, she takes that position to win a primary. Well, now she's in that corner. And now she's going up against Horn, and one of the signature issues between the two candidates is going to be their support of that statewide of that state question. Now let me ask you: within the bounds of CD five, does it pass?
2: Think I, so. Yeah, I think I mean, so. I, I think it would be hard yeah. not to. So. Um,
0: Someone like Stephanie Bice may be thinking, not really excited about this, would like to see the legislature maybe get something done next year. Hey, she maybe can play a part of that. It'll be interesting <laughs> to see uh, you know, see what happens in regards to that. But it's going to be just a, a huge storyline. And I, I want to move over, move on to our other topic, unless you guys have any other closing well, thoughts on that. Well, I think
2: the only thing I would say is that I believe – and, Carmen, you may correct me if I'm wrong – uh, I think the state administration said that they intend to roll out this plan for Oklahoma hashtag or whatever you <laughs> want to do with it um, in what August September of this of this it, year.
1: It, I've heard varying dates. I've heard August from them. I've heard October from them.
2: Right, And but now the,
1: they might move it. The move goal.
2: It up. The goal would be to that, and and I think the really interesting thing is, you know, does it does it turn out to be exactly what the lawmakers' plans were uh this past session you know is it it the same thing is it a little different are they going to try to 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 seek some waivers um i mean the whole thing is is really going to be interesting to watch to your point ben
0: there's a decent chance the legislature does something in response to this that brings us back to the court.
2: <laughs> maybe. I mean, I mean, they had a chance to do it with Medicaid, med- medical I, marijuana. I mean,
0: passing a plan to say, hey, oh. this is going to take care of that. We don't need to have the – I mean, someone's going to say that. I don't yeah. think – you know maybe the majority of the legislature doesn't take that position. But someone's going to say, hey, let's pass this plan. We don't have to have this vote after all. Um, I don't know. I, I think you can say that about most things in the legislature. There's a 20% chance this ends up uh, in front of the state Supreme Court. Um, Well, hey, let's move on to the reason why we invite you onto the podcast this week. Um, And that is this idea of just kind of journalists participating in democracy, specifically through the idea of voting. So full disclosure, um, I personally don't vote. And let me give you kind of my origin story on why I don't vote. So when I was uh, a young punk um, at a small paper in Missouri, covering a small town city council race in which a friend of mine, not a. Close, close friend, but a friend that was in my in my circles um, ran for city council and uh, was running against an incumbent. Long story short, he ended up beating this incumbent. It was kind of a messy election, and afterwards, the incumbent that he beat, who wasn't a fan of the paper anyways, but had criticized me of saying, "You know, your your reporting was biased." You wanted him to win. That well, was absolutely not true. I did. My reporting wasn't biased. I talked to you for stories. I don't I don't feel like it was. And he said, "Well, case in point, who did you vote for?" And that's the first time it kind of dawned on me. It's like, well, I voted for. You know, my friend, I lived in the ward. That's who I voted for. Now, I don't know if my reporting was biased or not. I'm sure it might have been. Um, But two things dawned on me. One is I didn't really have a great answer to that question. If someone said, "Who did you vote for?" Someone can accuse you of being biased. And if you voted for the person, you know, how do you how do you how do you explain that you're not biased if you actually did the most biased thing, which is vote for someone? That was one. And two. I realized that maybe I did expend some of my mental capacity in thinking about who I want to devote for. And if I took that out of the equation for myself, then I could truly focus on my job. Now I will say this before I give you you guys a chance to address this and your positions. I don't think it's a wrong position for a journalist to vote. Let me just first and say that I don't disagree with, um, with journal, I don't. I don't think this is a, a zero sum game. It's just a position I've arrived at. But I think it it can be a good thing for journalists to vote. So this is not a disagreement, at least from from this side of the table, that I feel like someone is wrong for that. But on Twitter, you had said that you did vote and kind of maybe took a little bit of exception to the idea that journalists wouldn't wouldn't vote.
2: Yeah, and I'll try to be brief, Carmen, because I want because you chimed in and you have your kind of uh, maybe a middle ground somewhere in there. You said you something like that. But uh, I mean, I, I just. I do vote, um, and I try to vote a fair amount, and the only times I don't vote is when I don't have any idea who the candidates for judge are, or I, you know, uh, we have a municipal election July 9th. Did yeah. you know that?
0: Yeah, for the charter update or something. You know,
2: right, like yeah. I, I was just reading what that was today, right? So I guess if July 9th had gotten here and I hadn't had any idea what that was, I might not have voted for that. But in general, I vote. And, and I think my exception to this idea was, um, and, ma- and maybe it's my just e- exception that it gets – floated out there as if this is sort of the gold standard for journalism ethics, right? Because I never – when I went to journalism school, nobody said – nobody floated this idea at all, right? I just think it's a dangerous idea to have to, – to say, especially to young journalists, you're not you're not supposed to vote. Because two things about the guy who lost his seat and was hurt about that. One, we have an Australian ballot system, right? Like you don't – you're not required to tell anybody. Yeah. Two – I honestly don't think that even if at that point you told him, I didn't vote, he still, if he thought your reporting was biased, he's still going to think it's biased. Fair and probably true. And so to me, if, and, if, and furthermore, if you had interviewed him and interviewed your friend and, and covered this election, and let's just take the idea that it's your friend out of it. I mean, maybe that's an exception. But if, if you've interviewed both candidates, you more than anybody have a good idea of who you feel like. Is is the best person suited for the job, especially if we take a position that's not sort of ideological based, right? It's not a it's not a, a, a Medicaid expansion or not. It's not abortion rights or not. It's not it's not uh, gun ownership or not. Um, if it's county treasurer, right, mm-hmm. and you've met both candidates and you've talked to them, you're as qualified as anybody to cast a vote. And I think that in a world where we have, you know, less than 50% of the population uh, voting, uh, you know, far less, I always forget what the, the numbers are, it ebbs and flows, depending on what the elections are, but certainly in municipal elections, mm-hmm. or certainly in school board elections, or those sorts of things. I just think that, you know, we ha- there are so many reasons for people not to vote, I-, I just don't know that journalists have any, I don't see it fixing any problem. And so as a result, I think it's potentially problematic to pull ourselves out of the mix in terms of voting
1: um, i would just say i think journalists have to find with whatever they're comfortable with and i think you'll find on this panel that there's a varying degree of of comfort levels with voting ben doesn't vote in the you know the races that he covers i'm no longer registered to vote because i feel so uncomfortable generally
2: you're not registered to vote
1: i'm not registered to vote and and part of that has been because i have moved around but um, part of it is because, you know, um, well, I guess I'll start with this. My first job, my first newspaper job, um, there was an unofficial official rule in our newsroom that you were not allowed to register with the party and you were not allowed to vote in primaries. So you had to be an independent and then you had you could only vote in general elections. And, you know, I think
2: uh, it, it, you said unofficial rule because that would be patently yeah. unconstitutional. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Okay. Yes.
1: And. Um, But you know, I went in to vote on that general election, and I was covering the state house at that time. I was covering the statewide candidates running for office, and this would have been in you know 2017, the Virginia governor's race. So I realized I'd talked to all these candidates, and I was looking at my ballot, and I was just like, "Well, it just doesn't feel fair for me to make a decision." So I literally like gave my ballot back to the lady and I just walked out and then I haven't re-registered since. Um, but fair,
2: but I mean, I, I guess that it does raise a question of, in terms of, are we always journalists?
1: No. And, and I do agree. I think, you know, we're some of the smartest people in Oklahoma politics. Well, let me
2: <laughs> brush that shoulder off. Right there.
1: Um, but, you know, I kind of see it as like, I like to be an, and. and A helpful guide to my friends who ask me and they realize you know two days before the election oh hey there's an election like what do you know about these people
2: well that's a great that was I was going to ask that question so when you're do your both here's my question to both of you if your friends ask you about an election or your wife or your (laughs) at some point your son when he gets you know uh old enough to vote um and we'll all feel old uh do, do you answer them? Do you give them your perspective?
1: I do not explicitly tell them who to vote for, but I do say, I know you very well, and I think you would like this person, or you're a registered Democrat, you would probably vote for this person, or you know, you're know, you a registered Republican, you would vote for that person.
0: Ben? T- to the question of do I tell them? Do you tell so, no. And in fact, and I brought my wife up because I think sometimes it frustrates her because it may be, you know, she does pay attention somewhat to upcoming elections more than your average person, but she may say, okay, who should, what should I do here? And I'm just like, I don't, I'm not telling you a thing. One, because I don't know, but also maybe because that's just, I don't feel like that's my job. Now, let me just, do you I wanna, give them
2: information though? Like what if she said.
1: What's their position what, on what, yeah, Well, you
0: know, you, think what what to, you know what I tell my wife and, and this is. You know, never a great answer, but good. I always say,
2: like, I just wrote about this, honey. Why don't you read the story I wrote about? And, and then you get uh, – and she hands you a pillow to sleep uh, yeah, on the yeah, couch? So, is okay. Well, let me say –
0: because you said something – and I want to circle back to this specific point. But you had said that you feel like journalists are more qualified than anyone. And I get what you're saying. I don't necessarily disagree with that mindset. As qualified. As, as qualified. But I also don't feel like we have a monopoly on the knowledge of what would make the best candidate because – if I got to know both candidates through my reporting, and I said, just one's the most qualified, they're the most knowledgeable, they're the most educated in, this, in these particular issues, that does not mean that the – I mean, in a democracy, someone can take the other position and still be right to say, I don't want someone who's qualified in this position. I don't want someone who's – I mean, let's take just the presidency, for example. There are some people who would say – and you know, we don't have to get into this too deep – but. You know to say that right. you know Trump is not a qualified president because he doesn't have a background in politics and he doesn't know as much about some of these issues. And some people say that's exactly why I voted for him. Is right. that person right or wrong? I mean, it, that's the democracy set up to. There is no no yeah. nobody's wrong on this. The, the second thing I would say is I think I, you know, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here, but I th- I think I've become pretty good at at not having my own personal opinion in races that I cover. I covered the gubernatorial election pretty closely last year. And people would, would say, readers or something would say, you know, oh, I bet you, I got it from both sides. People would say, oh, I'll bet you're vote polling for Edmondson, And I bet you're polling for Stitt. And I could say with a straight face, with a clear conscience to say, I honestly don't care who wins the election. Now, am I saying that I'm fully, fully, fully clear biased? No, I don't think anybody is. And we still always have to work on it. But I think I've... This exercise of not voting has gotten to me to a point, especially in the elections that I cover, to where I can honestly say, I don't care. I, If I'm rooting for anybody, it's an interesting story. And honestly, either one of them would have made for an interesting story to win the election. But that's just kind of where I feel like I've come to. And maybe I'm fooling myself. Maybe I am fooling myself, but I'm not there.
1: Oklahomans are very no- nosy. I feel like they like to ask, you know, oh, like I went to the Democratic convention a couple weeks ago and I had at least three people ask me, oh, are you a Democrat? And it's like, you can't ask a journalist that. I mean, you can, but I'm not – But But isn't that a valid
0: question? But you tell them, I mean, don't they have a
1: right to know if
0: you are registered for a political
2: party? That's why I registered no party uh, when I registered to vote in. Two thousand and
0: two. I mean, if you showed me a, 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 right. a, a journalist that was – like if that. someone said, this journalist is biased towards – in favor of Democrats, and they said, and I know that because they are registered a Democrat, wouldn't they have somewhat of a point there?
1: Uh, yes, I, I agree. Well, I think but so,
2: but it doesn't mean they can't be registered independent and still vote, or rather that they shouldn't be. I mean, if we're talking – because I, I think if we're going to get cynical about it, I think that there's actually a great deal of the American political system that is intended and 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 – directed to actively disenfranchise the public from voting. Agreed. So so if I'm running for a whatever seat, I can either, and I've, I've got two choices, I can either have half a million people, 500,000 people vote in this election or I can have 100,000 people. Which do I want? Whatever my party, I want 100,000 because that means that the 10,000 people I know who I can reach mean more, right? Yeah. So I think in a system where a lot of things are set up to keep people from voting. I don't see value in us as an industry uh, self self excluding from from the democratic process. And I'll give you two other thoughts on it. One, again, I just don't think that, in fact, I had somebody comment to me, you know privately that that this was his take was like, uh, and it wasn't about you, but he was just talking about a journalist and said, you know, this journalist covered this issue in the last uh, election. And whether you told me there's no way you could tell me anything about them, whether they're not registered to vote, whether they are uh, uh, whether they just didn't vote, whether they voted one way or the other, that their reporting was fair. Right. So I think people in a wor- like in a world where actions speak louder than words I think for journalists it's almost the opposite is that what we write is how people view us and we get it from both sides people all the time I I mean I love it when I'm at the state capitol and in a a period of 15 minutes I get somebody who says I'm too left and I get somebody else who says I'm too right you know or something something like that and I try to to, you know I mean I actually kind of enjoy that right Um, but then secondly um, I am more than a, a Journalist, uh, I live it, not too far from you yeah. uh, in House District 88. Um, for a while, I was coaching a high school baseball team, um, and I needed. Uh, we purchased a an old military shipping container, and I had it sitting out at the state surplus for three weeks. Could not figure out how I was going to get it over without hiring some company to you know pay a thousand dollars to move it down the road to this high school. And I was like, "What do I do?" and like literally at night I like shot out of bed and I thought I'll ask Jason Dunnington right and so I uh sent him an email he calls me the next morning I think I'd forgotten that I'd shot out of bed and this so I was like why are you calling me and he he said uh yeah I know a I know a guy um let me let me call you back 5 hours later we had the thing moved right now uh that's not the defining moment uh for Jason Dunnington in my in my Mind, I mean, and there are plenty of people who are critical of him. Say he's not far enough left. Is that you know, very, whatever it might be. Um, but I've had multiple times in my life where something was going on, whether with Oklahoma City Council. And I reached out to my city councilman. I just emailed him the other day about the stoplight at Northwest 36th and Walker, which has been broken for since December. I've been calling the uh, city to try to get them to address this. All, all these things. If someone in my personal life does what is Necessary uh, in terms of being uh, rep- responsive to the public and to to me in that realm. Mm-hmm. Well, when it comes to it, and they they're running against somebody I've never heard of or have no idea about, or who says something that seems or or let's just imagine that they're an <laughs> run for office. If I know there's a nice person, and I know there's. I'm going to vote for the nice guy because I might need that guy to move a box for me or help me with a stoplight issue or any of those things. So I just, to me, I think it overthinks it. And if somebody thinks that I'm, I, I don't see that my ethics or my ethical perception, which is more important than reality, perception is more important than reality. I don't know that this issue is strong enough to be in the top twenty things in terms of how I'm perceived ethically in, in the state of Oklahoma.
0: Well, I definitely see that, and I think it does take more than just simply saying I didn't vote. So let <laughs> me just get off my back about everything else. And I think those are great points because no. you're right. You you still are a citizen of the world. You're a citizen of your community. And I'll tell you, I'm I'm kind of personally grappling right now with this whole idea of, and you know, and I'll just I'll just mention it because I actually wrote about it a couple weeks ago. You know, my seven year old son is diagnosed with type mm-hmm. one diabetes. Sure. I'm saying now as a news director, can I? Can I assign my health reporter to take a deep dive into the cost of insulin and whether or not, you know, we need to be doing something about that policy as a state? I mean, I can, but am I am I crossing some kind of ethical boundary by? And I'm not I'm not looking for the no, answer now, and I'm just saying sure. I'm, I I think I'm just these are things that I want to talk through because and and once again, I don't think there's a right or a wrong, and I don't think that uh, I don't think you're any less of an ethical journalist. In fact, you may be more ethical for, because you're approaching it the way you're approaching it. Um, I think it's healthy to talk about it, and I wish we had an, a platform. I guess we do to talk about this more <laughs> I'll for share readers. It. Well, I'll for share readers it. to know, right? Yeah. I mean, because I think that's healthy for people to know that, especially in a news organization, whether it's a big newsroom, you know, or a small one, that. These conversations take place. Absolutely, we don't just make these decisions. That Absolutely. there are debates and conversations about how do we avoid the perception of bias? How yep. do we avoid the you know the actual reality of bias?
1: It is sad, but I do feel like the large majority of readers are just not just Oklahoman readers, but n- news readers across the country they don't recognize that I mean they they either think we're ethical or unethical and I don't think that we can do anything to change their minds oftentimes you know and that like just like if they read a piece by us and they think we're biased or or, uh, totally unbiased um you know i don't think you can have a conversation necessarily with that person and say here's why that article was not biased or well
0: and like i that. agree and i think and in, in this current light of media literacy and the challenges we're facing as an industry and we've we've got a minute left here i mean we have to be able to we have to rethink things we have to re, we have to at least have a discussion about these different things we have to talk about voting no matter where you land, and it's your right, and you should, you know, should do it. And like I said, I'm not saying you're wrong, but we should have these conversations. I, I
2: think it's a great conversation, 100. We've we've talked about this yeah. before, and I think anytime I'd like to say I'd come back and talk about ethical questions anytime you can. I, I just thought of one thing because I've got ai got 10 minutes to go get my um, uh, parking yeah. done. But it, that, that's interesting. Like I actually am the opposite. I actually struggle with. Qu- I question whether I should ask. Jason Dunnington to help me do that because hmm. he's my state representative. I question whether I should ask James Cooper about this issue because he's my city councilman, because I don't want to and in fact it was awkward the other night. I saw James and I was like, hey, I've been meaning to talk to you about a stoplight issue. And I was it was at an event I was covering, right? So that to me, whether I vote or not doesn't no. is not is not the bigger question. The the bigger question to me is how do I balance that knowledge of, okay, I know all these state state lawmakers and that affords me some access. And position the position of power that you have, have. Right? Sure, right. I
0: mean, it, I mean, an elected official hearing you complain about something is kind of way more than someone they never heard of,
2: right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Because they're
0: going to be wondering, is this going to end up on Twitter? And I don't right, think it would with right. you. I've, ha- I've, done has, well, I've, I've done that before. I've done it. it and I've from that. Yeah, no, <laughs> but no, no, it has I've, with some.
2: Right, and I, but that's what I'm thinking about in terms of. It is a slippery slope in terms of what you want to do in your own community as a journalist. But to me, there's the privacy of the voting booth where it's like I retain this idea that I do have an opinion. Yeah. And I can't tell – I don't tell anybody else about it a lot. But by God, I've met both these people and one of them's a lion so-and-so and the other one I think has got a good chance to be a responsible member of the democracy.
0: Yeah. Well either way I think we would all would agree that we are in a business where we do encourage everyone to vote. I mean that's good for
2: our society, it's good
0: for us. I mean I just think that's uh, I mean we want people to be participating in democracy in a variety of ways. And whether you vote or you or you don't, to me being a journalist is one of the is a is a core way of being a part of the democratic process. That's one of the reasons why I'm in this profession. Well you said you'd come back, we're gonna definitely take you up on that.
2: We'll we'll sold. You. Can I get a taller water uh, when I another come back? Invite. We'll get you more. We'll go longer and we'll give you <laughs> we'll give
0: you good. more more water. Well, uh, Trey Savage with with nondoc at nondoc.com uh carmen the oklahoman state Capitol reporter thanks guys so much for your time
1: thanks for having us
0: yeah i'm ben felder with the oklahoman Um, you can find this in every episode of the political state podcast on the oklahoman's youtube page also on your favorite podcast uh, player well that's gonna do it for this week's episode we'll see you again next week thanks (laughs)